Welcome to the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. This is episode 35. I'm joined by co-host Austin Zam Harari. Our guest this week is District Attorney Mark Gonzalez. He's the District Attorney in Oasis County. Welcome, everybody, to the show. How's everybody doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, man. Amazing. Uh, a beautiful day. I would say this is probably easily top five best weather days in North Texas right now. Uh, we're not going to get anything better than this, at least until fall. Yeah. yeah and, uh, over here in Corpus, it's uh, kind of cloudy. We've been having some thunderstorms, but we definitely needed the rain, man. So thank God for some rain because uh, everything's super dry around here. So I look Amen. forward to it rains today, tomorrow, maybe the next day would be great. We've gotten, I think it was, they considered like a record rainfall for this time of year in Austin. We had, they called on the radio biblical downpour and it was, oh man, if there was pollen around here, it's gone. This stuff's <laughs> washed away. Let's get to business. I'm excited. We have a DA. We we have an attorney who's who's practicing, and I think it's great that you were able to give us some of your time. Come out here. Um, tell us. Just give us a rundown of, of the basics for what you do as a DA. Yeah. So to be honest with you, man, a lot of people out there don't really know what a DA does. Uh, sometimes, I mean, even in my own community, uh, many times I go to HEB or I'm at the local, uh, you know. Uh, grocery store and they're calling me judge, you know, and uh, man, for the first six months or year, I, I got tired of telling them like, hey, I'm not a judge. I'm the district attorney. And after about a year of it, I just got tired and I would just greet them and be like, it's cool, bro. Like, hey, man, I'm doing good or whatever. <laughs> but but that to me is is super, uh, I guess, obvious how many people don't know what the DA does. And to be honest with you, I didn't know either until I became the district attorney. I mean, I was a defense attorney for uh, over 10 years. I never wanted to be the DA or work at the DA's office until I just got tired of seeing what I saw. And uh, and I really didn't know the gravity or the responsibility or, frankly, the power that the DA has every single day. And so, um, you know, that's what I've been in this role as the DA for. This is my start of my sixth year. Um, and um, I can say it's been one of the best jobs I've had. Uh, I can say that I've helped so many people um, in the criminal justice system uh, and those that probably wouldn't have gotten the help and so many of those uh, in neighboring counties who still don't get that help. And so that's why it's super important that podcasts like yours and recordings like yours uh, hopefully get to educate the public and inform them of how important who your DA is and what he does uh, is, is uh, can't be you know told enough how, it, how important it really is. You you make note of people not understanding what you do, and like something I recently saw and I had to explain to somebody was somebody who went in front of the judge and apparently I guess the bail was set really low for a they were uh, basically a fentanyl dealer and the, the the bail was low and they're like why did the DA set the bail so low and it's like the DA doesn't set bail <laughs> they're not the judge. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And a lot of people, believe it or not, uh, I mean, I'm not your typical DA. Like, I don't look like everybody. I know I'm wearing a tie right now and a, and a, and a collared shirt. Uh, but believe it or not, I mean, here in my county, everything's my fault, right? Like, no matter what it is, it's always my fault. And just in that scenario, just like you said, you know, everyone thinks, well, the DA is setting these bonds in these different cases. 
And that's part of the process of getting educated and knowing what each part of this criminal justice system does and how it works. You know, um, the DA's office can recommend bonds, right? We can say, well, this guy is a flight risk. He maybe has ties to Mexico or he's not a citizen. And therefore, we should increase the bond so that way um, he appears for court, right? And so the judge ultimately can say, nope, you know, I'm going to give him a higher amount of bond or a lower amount of bond, but it solely rests on the judge. And not too many people know that, you know. Um, and so whenever a bond is actually set, it's the judge who's actually setting it. And then now, I mean, with the, the way things are, to me, if you ask me, we've taken so many steps back, right? Um, the legislator, le the legislative part of Texas has said uh, you can't give PR bonds in some cases now. You know, people have to actually sit in jail. And so I made it a policy and a practice that, you know, um, bond is only to make sure that you show up to court, right? Like we shouldn't be placing bonds on individuals, um, punishing them in a way, right? Um, you know, they haven't been found guilty of anything. They've only been charged with the crime and bond is only to make sure that they show up to court. And a lot of people don't realize that either. They're like, you know, what, why is the bond so low? Well, the bond only ensures that he's going to show up. So if it's, a certain amount that's, you know, it all depends on the judge and the circumstances of each and every case. And some of them can be murder, right? I mean, you're not going to have a $10,000 bond on a murder, uh, but maybe a, a, a drug case, you may have a, a even a PR bond, you know, depending on where and how long the uh, the drug testing is and, and all that good stuff. I'm curious, uh, you stated earlier that um, you never dreamed of being the DA. However, uh, you you got sick of what you saw going on. Can you describe what what you saw before you became DA as a, a, a private a practicing attorney and 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 how you've decided to like change that from within? So um, I mean, dude, I I know we only got like what fifty minutes. I can go on and on about what I saw that sucked. Uh, but to be honest with you, man, um, I just saw things that I didn't like. You know, as a D, as a, as a, a defense attorney, um, you know, there was they were always trying to win. Like that was the mentality. Like we want to win. And a lot of times, you know, when the the state wants to win and not really thinking about justice or uh, how to make that person better, it can hurt them for the rest of their life. Think of a conviction for any drug offense, right? I know we're called the the, the Texas Cannabis uh, Collector, right? Think about that. If you get a conviction for any type of uh, cannabis or any possession of marijuana, possession of controlled substance. I mean, you're losing your housing, right? You're losing your housing. Now you have no place to live. If you are enrolled in school, you're losing your place to live and you're losing your funding for, for any kind of federal aid that you're receiving. Uh, not only that, uh, I mean, there's so many collateral consequences and I just didn't want to be a part of that. And I defended those people every single day. Uh, and most of the time, dude, the sad part was the people who were taking the, you know, just time served me, give me a conviction, I got to get out of here, were people of color, people of low economic status, and sometimes even, you know, low intellect. I'm not saying that they didn't understand what was going on, but they weren't very versed in the legal system. They weren't very well versed in the consequences of a conviction, right, of a theft, which is even worse than a uh, possession charge. And so of all those things I, I saw, I didn't like, and I could help, you know, shoot, I had a lot, I had a lot of clients as a, in private practice, uh, and I would go to trial maybe once a week. And so once a week, I knew I can help and fight for someone. Uh, but as the DA, I mean, dude, I could impact thousands of people's lives in one day with one policy, with one stroke of a pen. And that's what we've been trying to do since I got elected. 
And so, um, you know, there were just many things that I didn't like, um, you know, a lack of representation, uh, huge, huge sentences for things where maybe uh, our neighbors in other states can enjoy recreationally. I mean, it was just a lot of things that I saw and that I continue to see. I mean, we live in Texas. Um, you know, there are some very conservative areas and in uh, Corpus is maybe one of a more uh, relaxed or liberal area. But our counties north and south to us. I mean, dude, they're trying to send you to, to prison if you get caught with, the, you know, uh, a, a, a few or, or maybe a couple of ounces of marijuana still. And so that type of thinking to me is just uh, it's just crazy that we're still doing all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I've I've sat in the courtroom and witnessed DAs and their assistants that have gotten so used to what you talked about with people who aren't versed that when somebody who is kind of even somewhat inclined to be versed will start exerting their rights in court before the hearing really starts when they, they pretty much go to, a, and I've seen this in civil court, the version of pretty much arraignment where they start to plea. And I watched the assistant DA go, well, we want their medical records now. We want it now. And the person was like, well, you know, I've asked for legal representation before any of this proceeds forward. Oh, no, we have to have this now. And the judge was like, no, they have a right to an attorney for this case, for this issue. They're specifically talking about a family court issue, and they have a right to an attorney. And the DA was like, but I need to have, and they're like, no, you, you have to acknowledge this right. And I was like, wow, they're so used to seeing people come in and not know they have a right to an attorney in this instance. And the time, and they had to be given the time, to, to reasonable amount of time to find one. Yeah, I mean, it's really crazy how the system is is pretty much set up to uh, perpetuate or keep someone down. I mean, that's the way it's designed. Like, it is doing a good job of that. Um, and there's this huge stigma that has, has been placed over, uh, you know, individuals who consume or uh, enjoy cannabis recreationally or in any other capacity, you know. Uh, and it just blows my mind that we're still in a day and age where alcohol is uh, tolerated and celebrated, right? And yet the stigma still behind uh, the consumption of cannabis is just like, you know, night and day. And so I'm hoping that with education as time changes, I mean, a lot of people are, are, are starting to change their, their feelings towards that. I mean, look at all the medical research that has gone into um, the, uh, the great things that, that, that cannabis can provide for you. Uh, and not just that, you know, and, and, and to hopefully start to change the way people think and view it. Austin, you, oh, man. you look just, like you had something you wanted to say. No, I, uh, I'm, I love, I love, um, hearing about the, the background and experience. Um, if you can real quick, uh, tell us about your, your background and why you got into law in the first place. Yeah. So, uh, I don't come from, you know, I mean, I'm the first dude to graduate college from my family. I came from a small town. Um, you know, I didn't know any college graduates, judges or lawyers or nothing. And then one time I was uh, made a bad decision. I was 19. And I was drinking and driving in a small town, uh, Kingsville, Texas, which is like 30 miles south of uh, Corpus Christi. And I got a DWI. Um, you know, I did exactly what they said. I made a mistake. Like I drank. I got behind the wheel. I got stopped. Probably good. Um, you know, um, well, anyways, um, so I get out of jail, right. You know, uh, one night in the can got out of jail. My, my mom and dad came to pick me up. Shoot. I think everybody came to pick me up, man. It was like my mom, my dad, my girlfriend, my other <laughs> girlfriend, my brother. I mean, dude, it was crazy. <laughs> and so, you know, I go home and I'm like, and still in kind of like, dude, I was in jail. And then all of a sudden, like time passes and I'm like, well, maybe they're just forgot about it. Right. Like, that's what everybody thinks who gets arrested. Like, dude, maybe they just forgot about it, right? If I don't, you know, 
if I don't rock the boat, maybe nothing will happen. And like 90 days later, I get a letter in the mail saying I have court. And uh, my mom, I tell my mom, I said, hey, I got court. She's all, don't worry, mijo. I'll go with you. Just plead guilty and they'll be nice to you. And so that's what I did. So anyone listening, do not ever do that. Exercise your <laughs> rights, get a lawyer. And so I, I pled guilty, man. And I got one year probation. I had to do UAs, I had community service, I had to check in Ooh. once a month. And you know, and, it, and I didn't get railroaded. I got what everybody got who took their mom, right? But what happened to me that day in court was there was a Navy pilot there. In Kingsville, there's a Navy base, right? So you got a lot of uh, pilots going and training there. There was a Navy pilot, good-looking, tall, white dude, and he had a white lawyer and white judge. And uh, the the I remember the lawyer saying, Your Honor, we've come to an agreement uh, in consideration for my client's um, occupation and his future. You know, we're going to go ahead and dismiss his case. And I'm like, I looked at my mom and I'm like, dude, I got hosed, you know? And so, <laughs> uh, and so for me, man, a light like went off in my, my head. I was like, this is some BS, you know, and I'm going to try to be a lawyer. I didn't know how to try to be a lawyer. I mean, th back then this was back in 99 or something, you know, there wasn't no uh, law school for dummies or how to become a <laughs> law student. I mean, everything was so, you know, just not the way it is today. We didn't have, you know, Facebook, social media, Instagram, none of that stuff. And so uh, I just tried to try to uh, graduate, try to get into law school, and I did, and I got through law school barely. And uh, but I knew I always wanted to help people accused of crimes, right? I didn't want them to take their mom; I wanted them to take me. And so that's what I've been doing uh, since day one. We're going to go into our first sponsor break here at the Lone Star Collective. This is episode thirty-five. I'm your host Jesse Williams, joined by co-host Austin Zam Hariri. Our guest this week is Mark Gonzalez. He is the district attorney in Oasis County. We will be right back after these messages. Thrive Apothecary offers an experience truly unique from anything else in Texas, a full-service cannabis solution that is doctor-owned and offers customers every level of cannabis legally available in Texas. From traditional CBD products to emerging hemp-derived THC edibles, smokables, and now medical cannabis. As a licensed medical cannabis provider, prospective patients from anywhere in Texas can book a sponsored online eligibility consultation to determine if they qualify for a medical marijuana prescription from the comfort of their own home. Plus, for Texas veterans, the first prescription appointment is donated by Thrive. Visit thrivetx.com for more information. Oak Cliff Cultivators is a sponsor of Texas Cannabis Collective and Lone Star Collective Podcast. Oak Cliff focuses on quality assurance with their hemp products while providing customer service to help you discover cannabinoids to meet your needs. Their product line includes hemp flower pre-rolls, CBG tinctures, edibles, Delta 8, and merch. For more information on their products quality or to shop online today, visit oakcliffcultivators.com or contact them at info at oakcliffcultivators.com. Austinite Cannabis Company is an Austin, Texas, locally owned and family operated producer and seller of handcrafted cannabis products 
such as CBD, CBG, CBN, and Delta 8 made from hemp in Austin, Texas. Their selection of products includes beauty products, concentrates, edibles, merch, pet supplies, pre-rolls, tinctures, topicals, and accessories. For more information, visit austinitecannabis.co or you can visit their storefront location at 2009 East Cesar Chavez Street in Austin, Texas. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast, distributed on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, and much more, to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host, Jesse Williams and Austin Sam Hariri. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. This is episode 35. I'm joined by co-host Austin Sam Hariri. Our guest this week, District Attorney Mark Gonzalez of Nueces County. How's everybody doing? I'm blessed. It's been a great day. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So before, like, I really uh, wanted to... uh, I guess segue this into to cannabis discussion, sure. Mark. And if I recall correctly, the first time I remember seeing you was at the 2019 legislature. You came to testify for a penalties reduction bill. Is that correct? Yeah, I remember that. That was quite some time ago. And unfortunately, what are we doing? We're still having to go up there and still uh, argue for uh, you know uh, less harsh uh, penalties and all kinds of stuff. And so. Uh, we got to keep continuing to fight the fight, man. And that's and that's actually kind of funny, which is why it's very poignant that you're here today, because Jesse, both Jesse and I have been engaged uh, in two different local ballot initiative campaigns to decriminalize marijuana at the local level. Jesse, to, as of today, was in San Marcos, where we have a we're part of a campaign with our friends Mano Amiga and Ground Game. And also I've been active in Denton here in North Texas, um, gathering signatures. And so, um, you know, we felt that it was prudent while we're in the interim of the legislative process, we meet once every two years for 140 days, that we got active at the local level. And um, and so it, it, it's kind of a blessing that you're here with us today. We're talking to a local district attorney in, in, in only one of the 254 counties, but a district attorney, nonetheless, like that, as you uh, said earlier, can make a massive impact in just one day. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, you know, I'm glad to say, though, that, uh, you know, some of the DAs in, in a lot of the more urban areas are starting to um, put practices and policies in place that are, are less restrictive or less, uh, I guess, um, you know, regarding possession, right? Uh, small amounts of, of uh, possession of cannabis or POM, possession of marijuana, right? Um, and, you know, uh, a lot of them are not actually even 
uh, you know, going forward on those cases. And so it's a breath of fresh air, if you ask me. Uh, and a lot of these DAs are in urban areas. You know, you have um, Joe Gonzalez, who's in uh, San Antonio. That's a huge county, right? Bear County. You got, uh, 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 you know, Judge Cruzho, who's a DA in Dallas County. That's a huge county. You got um, DA Garza in Austin. I mean, you got, uh, you know, different DAs throughout Texas, right? Now, don't get me wrong. There's 254 counties. And I've named what five or six people, but you also have to look at the impact that these five or six people can have when you're talking about some of the highly or the most highly populated areas. And so, um, you know, we're gaining ground. Uh, and I think that's something that we should celebrate, you know, uh, because every every county we gain, every DA that wants to decriminalize this, uh, we're helping out so many people. Think about that. One less person with the conviction for you know, uh, for a possession of marijuana or controlled substance or all kinds of stuff. And that impact uh, has ripple effects. I mean, just think about it. If you don't have that conviction, you can get into so many more programs, do so many more things, qualify for so much more aid. And so it's good, though, that uh, these changes are actually happening. But like you said, you know, we can't wait just until the legislative session. I mean, we got to go hard 24-7. Uh, and that's why it's important that you're being vocal about it here on this show or and in any other efforts that you have throughout the state, um, because, you know, the reality is it's going to take a lot of people to actually want to get involved. Right. And that's what it's going to take. And uh, unfortunately, with the low vo- voter turnout, man, it's hard to to vocalize those things. A lot of people may feel it. A lot of may- people may want it. Uh, but until they go vote, that's the kind of way that you actually uh, put your voice into action. And that segues into something we were talking about just right before we started the podcast. And it's, we talk about cha- making a change now and we have people within our groups and that follow us online or come out to events. And they tell us, well, how about we just do jury nullification? Just, we need to get the juries on board. And once they nullify this, it's, it's in game for it. And I thought you'd probably be the best person that can speak to what's happened with jury nullification. Yeah, so a jury notification is just the jury or members of the community saying, look, we're not going to do this anymore, right? And so that means, though, that um, you have to have a defense attorney and a uh, defendant, right? Someone accused of possession of marijuana uh, who is going to take it all the way to trial. Now, when they take it all the way to trial, there are a lot of things that can happen. They could get a conviction. Maybe that jury doesn't nullify. Um, I would tell you that we don't even go that far. Uh, But in the counties that they do, that's a real risk that you run. In our county, um, you know, we, we don't prosecute uh, any kind of misdemeanor uh, POMs, possession of marijuana. That's just what we don't do, you know. And, and realistically, any jurisdiction out there that is trying to do so right now, the way the law is written, uh, to me, if you ask me, is doing so un, um, unethically, right? Because they know that there's no real way right now because the way it is, DPS labs are not testing uh, misdemeanor amounts of uh, marijuana, right? So if every 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 marijuana uh, case that it comes to my office, if I don't test it, how do I know that it's not under the legal limit? How do I know it's not under 0.03? How do I know it's over the threshold of 0.03? I don't know that. And even probably the person who has possession of it sometimes may not know that. And so how can I go forward on a case that I know I can't prove without this lab result? Right. Because there's a real opportunity or a real argument there that that may not that may be under the legal limit. And, and then if, if I am trying to 
make a conviction on someone, knowing, not knowing that, then, you know, to me, that's unethical. And um, so any of those counties out there, any of the DAs out there still trying to prosecute uh, these cases, I think they're doing so unethically. And if they can say that they're getting these test results, right, and then going forward with it, well, then that's a different scenario. But the way they're doing it right now, I promise you, DPS is not testing uh, uh, misdemeanor amounts of marijuana. It's just not happening, you know? So I guess my question is, tell us about Nuestas County. Like, tell us about um, how you you were able to broker this into your specific county and how has it been received? So I'll tell you this. Um, one thing I didn't know when I became the DA is how powerful the DA is. Every criminal case that comes to my office, I get to say what happens to it. A, a judge doesn't even get to decide a case until I give or allow that judge to have that case. Now think about that, the power that the DA has. A lot of people don't know that. I didn't even know that until I became the DA. And so like our first day, uh, it was like our first week. I said, dude, I don't want to prosecute marijuana anymore. And my first assistant was like, we don't have to. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, we don't got to. I said, all right. So we're not going to. Uh, and so we decided, um, you know, that we're not going to prosecute marijuana anymore. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to get arrested, right? Because we have no control over the uh, law enforcement and what they do. You can have an agency who's conservative, who's going to go out and arrest everybody with any type of, uh, you know, contraband, narcotics, anything like that. So what do I do? Well, they bring us a case and, and we don't go forward on it, right? And so we, we wanted to, you know, and, and these officers kind of started to realize, like, look, man, why are we going to take this guy into jail? You know, some kid who has a joint, you know, he got caught with a joint on and why are we going to run him into jail? It's going to take four hours out of my day or maybe not four, maybe like two, right? Why well, take him all the way down to jail, do all the paperwork, fill out all my report, or I can give him a citation, right? Which is allowed by the legislator. They came up and said, give this guy a citation for seven crimes that you commit misdemeanor crimes here in Texas. And possession of marijuana happens to be one of those. And so we created a site and release program here in Corpus and the cops bought into it, man. Uh, you would think that they wouldn't, but they rather go and uh, answer the, the hard calls, right? The domestic violence cases, the uh, burglary of a habitation, sexual assaults. They felt that if they're out there, if, if they give someone a citation uh, and that takes them 15 minutes, they can go answer the, the more, uh, you know, stressful or horrendous calls that they get every single day. And so what we're doing is we're being efficient, right? That's what we're doing. We have to decide what is more important to us. And we know that, you know, arresting people who smoke marijuana or consume cannabis or whatever you want to call it, it doesn't make our community safer, right? It just doesn't. What makes our community safer is having them in and out of whatever situation it is and, and allowing officers to be out on the street doing their jobs and doing everything they need to do. And so officers bought into it. Um, and so I could tell you that we have not prosecuted any kind of misdemeanor level uh, marijuana since I've been in office probably like shoot, five, five, almost six years, going on six years now. Uh, and we don't even go forward on, uh, now they're more like pretrial diversions on any type of the cartridges or edibles that people come into contact with. And then that's another thing, too, like, you know, we have to test those now because the way the law is written and with the availability of them, there's so much out there, man. You have so many people that are 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 are, are permitted and they're growing and they're extracting and they're making their own you know, legal products. The, the way things are going now, things are evolving uh, and people are making products that are legal. And unfortunately, you know, you got enough of it, um, you know. You're going to go to jail 
and then we're gonna have to sort it out and that's the bad part i wish there was a way around that right there's a um there's a lot of gray area in yep. whether something is d8 or d9 or is it t is it 0.3 percent yep you know him compliant or is it and and then that kind of falls on you as the da is like okay well we have a limited amount of funds to be able to uh execute a case like this and it just doesn't make just from a you know a county standpoint just doesn't make any sense to prosecute a case uh where something you know quote-unquote contraband might be a legally compliant uh product yeah, well, for sure. Uh, and it's it's amazing that Austin brings this point up that it doesn't make sense. But like I coughed it in earlier, Montgomery County, Montgomery County is going head over heels for going after people on this. And What's, even uh, what, what county? Where's that by Montgomery County? That's north, uh, Houston. Yeah, north of Houston. Yeah. Yeah. They're very conservative over there, man. I hear the D.A. talk and I uh, it's it scares me uh, at some of the stuff and policies and practices. This you know that this that, guy wrote a letter to Ken Paxton earlier like either earlier this year or late last year going um i want you to ignore the d8 ruling these judges have put out you need to come up with your own decision so we can go back to arresting people for d8 in this county we we want to do that so you need to get this done now but we're going to go into our next sponsor break here at the lone star collective i'm your host jesse williams this is episode 35 my co-host is austin zam harari we're joined by guest district attorney mark gonzalez of nueces county we will be right back after these short messages. Now everything is going wrong. I think I changed my mind again. I'm not sure if this is a song. I don't even know what I'm saying. Everything is going wrong. I think I changed my mind again. I'm not sure if this is the kind of life that I saw myself living. I don't need no dating app to tell me if I look like crap. To tell me if I'm thin or fat. To tell me should I shave my rat. I don't need no radio, no MTV, no BBC. Thrive Apothecary offers an experience truly unique from anything else in Texas. A full-service cannabis solution that is doctor-owned and offers customers every level of cannabis legally available in Texas. From traditional CBD products to emerging hemp-derived THC edibles, smokables, and now medical cannabis. As a licensed medical cannabis provider, prospective patients from anywhere in Texas can book a sponsored online eligibility consultation to determine if they qualify for a medical marijuana prescription from the comfort of their own home. Plus, for Texas veterans, the first prescription appointment is donated by Thrive. Visit thrivetx.com for more information. Oakcliff Cultivators is a sponsor of Texas Cannabis Collective and Lone Star Collective Podcast. Oakcliff focuses on quality assurance with their hemp products while providing customer service to help you discover cannabinoids to meet your needs. Their product line includes hemp flower pre-rolls, CBG tinctures, edibles, Delta 8, and merch. For more information on their products, quality, or to shop online today, visit oakcliffcultivators.com or contact them at info at oakcliffcultivators.com. Austinite Cannabis Company is an Austin, Texas, locally owned and family operated producer and seller of handcrafted cannabis products such as CBD, CBG, CBN, and Delta 8 made from hemp in Austin, Texas. Their selection of products includes beauty products, concentrates, edibles, merch, pet supplies, pre-rolls, tinctures, topicals, and accessories. For more information, visit austinitecannabis.co or you can visit their storefront location at 2009 East Cesar Chavez Street in Austin, Texas. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast, distributed on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, 
Facebook, and much more, to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host, Jesse Williams and Austin Sam Hariri. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. This is episode 35. I'm joined by co-host Austin Zam Hariri. Our guest this week is District Attorney Mark Gonzalez. He's the District Attorney of Nueces County. Welcome back, everybody. <clears throat> I have I figured this would probably be a great segment to just we'll do some con as I call it confirmation because questions have to be asked in a way I learned before. Attorneys cannot tell you how to break the law. And I'm not going to ask you how to break the law, but I'm going to ask you how, if these tips we've heard are good ways to almost avoid getting arrested. So you don't even have to see these cases come across your desk to say you don't want to prosecute them. Um, When an officer pulls you over, it's a good idea that if they ask you questions such as, where are you going? That you say, I'm not at liberty to discuss the events of my day with you. I would say that's true or a good practice. I've heard some lawyers put this out and I asked my father-in-law is a police officer in Puerto Rico. He's a precinct captain. And his, his response was like, Oh yes, that is the thing you need to say. Well, yeah, no, go ahead. I was to say that's well within your fifth amendment. Right. Right. You like, you do not have to answer any questions. Right. So, so, you know, I was a defense attorney for, I mean, before I was a DA, I was like I said, I never worked at the DA's office. And that was one of the main things I would tell everyone. And I even tell people now I'm like, dude, I'm the DA. I, I wouldn't talk to anybody, you know, uh, that's just information that they're going to have that they can use against you. I mean, it's an adversarial system, bro. I mean, they're, they're going to use every single thing they can to, uh, you know, put you in a spot that you might not want to be in. And so I always tell people like, if you don't give them that opportunity, they, they ain't got nothing there that they can say. If you say anything, then they can use that. You know, um, you were here. I was, I was there. Well, now you're confirming you were there. Now we got somebody who was at that place at that time, you know, so, it's super important that you uh, protect yourself at all times. And, uh, you know, uh, exercising your rights, you shouldn't be uh, punished for exercising your rights. That's just the way I feel. I remember watching um, a video as a guy. I happened to be living in Virginia, and it was a, a former DA out of uh, the Norfolk area who mentioned what you said at the end was he's like, remember, your rights are everything you say can and will be used against you. Not maybe, not might be. They will be used against you. And I can't remember the term, and you probably can fill this in, is that if an officer was getting ready to collaborate something you say that could be used for you, you as a as the district attorney could actually call an objection to this and say that's not permitted in court. And there's a term for it. And I was wondering what that's called. So what are you saying that an officer is going to, uh, what do you mean, like a, a hearsay exception? or I think it'd be like a hearsay type thing where it's pretty much it's like, well, I, I told the officer this and it meant this. And the officer goes, yeah, that's what that means. And it. It confirms that, you know, that he, he's not this or, or another. And a DA could go, well, that's you're technically helping that witness and we could object to that. Yeah, uh, but no, I mean, it just depends. I mean, 
you have some DAs out there that don't want to do the right thing. And, and not just DAs, but people that work in those offices. And so they're trying to win. They're trying to, to do things that just aren't right. And we don't operate that way, at least here in my office. Like, dude, where's my, oh, let's check it out. So we got, you know, a lot of uh, law enforcement, they do these little challenge coins. And so ours on the back, it always says, I don't know where this camera's at, but let me see. What I, what I got you. It's the do the it right says, thing. Do the right thing. <laughs> And it's 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 the most simplest and, and truest, uh, um, you know, m- you know, saying or, or, or motto you can have whenever you're trying to administer justice, man. It's just do the right thing. And sometimes doing the right thing isn't possible. I mean, isn't popular. Like doing the right thing isn't cool. Doing the right thing isn't popular. And but you still have to do it. And so a lot of times that's where we find ourselves. And it can be a lonely road, man. Uh, but when we're helping people out, you know, it's all worth it. Real Real, real quick, I'm just curious. I'm a big art fan. You have a nice, beautiful painting behind you of of somebody. I I, I can't tell yeah. who it is. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So uh, that's Emiliano Zapata, and if y'all don't know who he is, he's a ref- a revolutionary uh, from Mexico. Uh, he has a saying that a lot of. I mean, I'm sure you if if you're familiar with him, you know. I rather uh, live on my feet than die than die on my knees, right? But it's in Spanish, and so that's a saying. Um, that, you know, I've always tried to uh, live by. I'd rather fight and lose than to give in sometimes. And so it's funny, man. I, I was a defense attorney for so many years and I would get paid in all kinds of stuff, right? Like I was going to help you out and I would hope you would bring me cash. Uh, but sometimes it just wouldn't happen that way. I got paid in uh, shrimp, fish. I got a, <laughs> I got a, uh, I got a uh, treadmill for a, uh, for uh, uh, a murder that I did one one time. And then one time, one of my clients, uh, it was Christmas time. And he said, hey, man, I painted you something, you know? And I'm like, oh, cool, awesome. And so he brought me this huge painting. And I'm like, I was in like, oh, I never owned any art or anything like that. And, uh, you know, I said, how much? And he, I think it was like 600 bucks or super cheap for something so super awesome. And so everywhere I've gone, wherever, everywhere I've sat, you know, it's always been behind me. And so uh, it's one of the you know proudest pieces of, of anything that I have. And so I'm very blessed that um, he he made that for me and thought that I would appreciate it and thought of me when he made it. And so uh, everyone always asks about it, man. They're like, is that one of your uncles or something? I'm like, no, it's uh, really <laughs> no, it looks it that. looks super influential. And so yeah. um, you know, no, for sure, sitting in the Nueces County DA's office, I had to ask a question about it. Um, real quick though, we do have Spanish speakers. Please tell us that saying in Espanol. Okay, hold on. I don't want to mess it up. Prefiero, pre, prefiero uh, vivir de pie de morir de rodillas. Some, I think I, I might have messed it up. It's okay. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. love it. No, I got, I got it right. I got it right. <laughs> I'm going to have to ask my wife tonight about this. My wife's from yeah, Puerto Rico and... She knows she's a big language person, like big time. Yeah, she's gonna so, be like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. She's gonna. I'm gonna on, you put me on the spot, man. I would have wrote it out. I would have wrote it out. I maybe do a Google search real quick. Well, she'll probably tell me what it is, and she'll be like, "Who is saying this?" I'm gonna be like, "Oh, it's a district attorney in Corpus." She's like, "That's cool. I really like that." <laughs> she's really big about linguistics, so it's, it'll be a fun time having that discussion. I appreciate that. <laughs> um. Something I've been told is a smart idea, talking about encounters with the police, is that if they ask you at any point to get out of the car, because they kind of probably want to search your car, it's probably that it could be a smart idea to lock your keys in the car. That way they can't get into it, and it becomes a hassle to get the warrant and get into the car. 
I don't know, man. I, I wouldn't, I, you know, for, for me, the way I've always done it is you want to um, more bees with honey, right? That's just the way I've always uh, uh, done things. And then you don't want to be charged. Let's say you have a joint, right? That they can't even prove, you know? Uh, and then you, uh, by the way, this is not legal advice for anyone. These are hypotheticals. And I'm just saying this to say this, but if right. you technically, if you would lock your keys in your car, there's an argument to be made that you're tampering with evidence, right? And if you're tampering with evidence, that's a felony offense, bro. And so you don't want to do that. That's why they always get people. And this was a, uh, when I was at a defense attorney, I'd always tell all my guys or just even young people, I'm like, look, man, if you have a joint on you, that's a misdemeanor. If you try to chew it and you're eating it, when you see the cop, that's a felony. And so you went from somewhere like right here to like right here, dude. So don't do it. So all you listeners out there, you find yourself in that situation. This is not legal advice. But uh, uh, you don't want to start at a misdemeanor and end at a felony, for sure. Yeah, there's a real popular, real popular saying by some defense attorneys here locally out of Waco that said they have a big song that says "Don't eat your weed," and it's I'll exactly look for it. that tampering with evidence. It actually takes a small charge and kicks it up to like a very, very serious charge. And not only that, but uh, before we forget, you know, if you have anything on you, like uh, any type of contraband, and it's a misdemeanor, right? I got a joint in my pocket. It's a misdemeanor. I go into a jail, it becomes a felony. And so that's why they do ask you, you know, do you have anything in your pockets? Because if you tell them before and you're going to jail anyways, if you get into the jail, then it becomes a felony offense again. So, you know, uh, you know, just try to just do what you can to help yourself out, you know. What exactly the process that has to, that should be followed for an officer to get a warrant to start searching a car if the person says, well, I don't grant you permission to, to search my vehicle? It's it's a very low standard. It is a very low standard. I mean, the smell of burnt marijuana typically is the, uh, uh, you know, the start of getting that process. And you think about it. I mean, dude, trust me, man, I, I was young. Uh, I have uh, a 21 year old daughter. And I could tell you that, you know, people who enjoy or recreationally smoke marijuana sometimes do it in their vehicles. Maybe it's the only place that they have privacy. Maybe it's the only place they can or whatever other reason. And so no, even if you haven't smoked in a while, uh, you know, people, people will recognize that smell and you may not think so, but you smell, I mean, dude, that's just the way your clothes, uh, your, your, your vehicle, all kinds of stuff. And so you need to really be smart about what you're doing. Uh, because if you're in your vehicle and, uh, it's has an odor of marijuana, that's going to be enough to get officers to go ahead and want to take a deeper look. So you have to ask yourself, is it, is, is are you going to be okay with that? The I'm trying to think what it was that, that dealt with this. Oh, the, Austin talked about these attorneys earlier saying don't eat your weed. One of the yeah. other piece of advice they gave people when the hemp thing about the testing was if an officer asks you, what is this? Because <laughs> they found flour or whatever in your car. Right. Is to say, I'm not a scientist. I can't define that for you. I'm not in a qualified position to define what that is for you. You yeah, already I mean, said too much. Yeah. I just, Shut up. Don't say any more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying nothing. Yeah. That's just my position, my advice as a defense attorney and as a DA, even. I mean, dude, less is more in any situation. So, more of like, I'm not at liberty to discuss the itemized list of things in my car. How about no response at all? I have no response to that officer. I just hold up the five. <laughs> there you go. One, two, three, four. Fifth. Fifth. Need the fifth. <laughs> Mark, really, really appreciate your time. And and just being with us, Um, I'm going to be in El Paso County here in two weeks. And if, as you probably already know, 
Uh, New Mexico has full recreational legal marijuana. Earlier this week, we posted up a dispensary in Texaco, New Mexico, um, that opened up. It's like a little trailer that opened up, cool. and it's literally 15 feet from the Texas border. Wow. And, um, you know, so we'll be going to El Paso to march with our friends in El Paso to uh, hopefully get El Paso County, who is still arresting people for misdemeanor marijuana possession. Really? Uh, to recognize that, that this is something that needs to change. And what's, what would be your message to other DAs, to um, executives in the state of Texas, and even... We're even having problems at the federal level to even the president of the United States. What would be your your words of wisdom? You know, we have real crime. Um, I've been involved in a case this past week, and that's why I'm joining you in a tie um, where alcohol uh, was consumed and an officer died over, you know, daughter has no father no more. Wife has no husband. Uh, um, you know, two other officers got hurt. I have cases where somebody shot people. People are murdered. I mean, we have so much things we really need to to kind of worry about. And I think that recreational consumption of cannabis is should not be one of them. And especially in all equity. I mean, think about it. We're a society of fairness and justice, and we want to be or fairness, right? We always say, oh, men are created equal and you know, everyone should have life, liberty, and everything else. But it's it's really not that way, man. And so uh, I just would say that, you know, we have pressing issues that we really need to work on and uh and you know out of equity uh if our neighbors in even new mexico are able to enjoy this why shouldn't we as texans right um you know we should be proud texans and say that uh less government is more or better um and at least when it comes to uh this type of um consumption uh or or recreational use of, of marijuana for, for the record I, I i don't smoke uh you know i i drink and and uh I'm not against it. I just don't do it, uh, uh, you know, recreationally. Uh, but I think that if somebody wants to, they should be able to. I don't think, and and personally, I think cannabis is is way better than, uh, you know, I, I may use it uh, medically because I have the the bombs and stuff, man. I'm getting old, but uh, I think alcohol causes way more, way more destruction. And it's just a case like I I tried this week, you know, uh, than any amounts of cannabis consumption. And so. Uh, I think for people not to realize that or to own that just kind of blows my mind, man, um, that uh, you, you're OK with alcohol and the consumption of it all day long and in every single way. Uh, but you're you're not OK with consumption of cannabis, which I've been a, a D.A. for six years now, been a defense attorney for 10 years. And I haven't seen uh, uh, any cases where cannabis was as destructive as uh, uh, whether it's uh you know, alcohol or any other type of, you know, opioids or Xanax or anything like that. And so for us to have these conversations, it just doesn't make sense, man. We've got to be smart about this. I went to a group at the VA at one point, and the doc that leads the group is a former hostage negotiator for the Austin Police Department. And he mentioned in group one day after I, I, I said, hey, I, I do cannabis advocacy. And he goes, you know, I want to let you guys know that none of the cases I ever had to show up to was cannabis ever involved not once he's like i've seen alcohol involved i've seen meth involved i've seen cocaine involved yeah heroin he's but never once during any of these situations when it was over and they went in to find out what was going on was there yeah. ever marijuana involved with it yeah no, and it's true i mean it, i i can i can attest to that as the da for six years 
and as a defense attorney for 10. So, Well, as we wrap up, I want to ask you if you could give any final advice to our listeners on how they could, obviously in your county, I can't say that, I'm not going to say they should break the law in any county. I'm not going to advise that. I know you can't either. But when they are not in counties such as yours, how can they avoid having issues where they could be having run-ins with the police or DAs there? Yeah, I would say uh, just to, to be respectful as, as much as possible. You would think that would go a long way. A lot of these officers just trying to do their job and get home. They don't know what a lot of these individuals have. And they don't know if you have uh, uh, legal cannabis or illegal cannabis, you know, and that's maybe going to be later determined by somewhere else. Um, they're, they're worried about getting home to their families. And so uh, I think you need to consider that when you have your interactions with them. Uh, a lot of times, dude, they're just going to break it and throw it away. And it depends where you're at uh, or just t- take it away from you. But I would say the biggest message and, and thing that I would like to leave you guys with and all your listeners with is get involved. If you're not voting for these initiatives, if you're not voting and being a voice for what you want and what you want to happen and to change, you're wasting everybody's time, man. Uh, because the only way real change is going to come and happen is is in the form of voting. Um, we can march. I think that's great. It's good to show unity. But at the end of the day, if you're marching and you don't go out and vote in any of these elections, whether they're primaries, uh, you know, constitutional elections or in the general elections, uh, you're really not being as loud and vocal as you really should be. And so that's my two cents. Uh, if you all voted, you'll probably get more DAs like me, and maybe we'll get some real movement on the books. We appreciate we more that. DAs like you, Mark. Well, we thank you for your time here at the Lone Star Collective. That is going to wrap it up for episode 35 of the Lone Star Collective podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. My co-host is Austin Zamhereri. Our guest this week was District Attorney Mark Gonzalez of Nueces County. And we hope that everybody has a, a safe week, great weekend, and you would heed the advice of an elected district attorney who obviously knows very much about this and can lead you on a better path to staying out of trouble. Vote. <laughs> Get registered. <laughs> I've, I've been doing collecting signatures for ballot initiative, and man, the people who aren't registered, have it's you, insane. Have you really voted yet, Jesse? I'm going tomorrow to vote. Um, but that wraps it up for this week. Everybody have a great week. Adios.